With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom, reach new audiences, and bring important information to the public free of charge. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Simply go to tntradio.live. You're with Rick Munn on today's News Talk Radio. TNT. Yes, it's Thursday, the 8th of February, 2024. This is TNT, today's news talk. This is the Locked and Loaded show, and I am Rick Munn. And in the course of this hour, I'm going to be talking with Gemma Cooper and also, fingers crossed, with Dr. Tick Kong and Louise Crefield from the UK uh, from Save Our Rights. So it's going to be an action-packed show. Obviously, uh, it's a big month as well for journalism. Uh, at the end of the month in the UK, there's a trial or a hearing that will be held to see whether or not Julian Assange is extradited from Belmarsh Prison over to America to face trial. TNT will be on the ground in London to cover that uh, 20th to the 22nd of February and also have other people on the ground covering that story live and exclusive here on TNT Today's News Talk. So make sure you check that out. Uh, a lot going on in the world right now. It's 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 crazy. Uh, there's a lot of things that it's just not enough time in the day to keep up with all the events that are happening. But I'm trying to touch on as many things as I can in, in Australia. Uh, yesterday, uh, there was a video put up and it was commented on this is the astonishing moment when the Australian Senate voted against investigation of excess deaths in Australia. While the word salad from Senator Katie Gallagher did reference excess deaths, mum's the word when it comes to asking why. So she referred people onto the uh, statistical sites and the fact that yes, it's in line with the pandemic and changes of demographic, effectively trying to uh, brush excess deaths under the carpet in Australia, or at least if they're acknowledged, saying that it's in line with expectations which of course it's not. So the Australian Senate actually voted against the investigation into why Australians are dying hand over fist at the minute, at least above and beyond what is statistically expected of them, which is absolutely crazy. Uh, Ireland, hell's bells, Eamon Ryan in Ireland. Ireland uh, seems to be a production factory for lunatics right now. Always has had a lot of loons coming out of Ireland. I'm being one of them. But Eamon Ryan, the Green Minister, uh, says cycling will become the most common way to travel in Ireland. There's a whole spate of uh, articles have been written on this over the last day. And check this out. If you're living in London <laughs> or Edinburgh or Glasgow or Oxford and you're in one of these low emission zones, just Pause for a moment and be grateful that you're not living in Dublin because our way of dealing with emissions is simply to ban all cars from Dublin city centre. And that's what they're planning on doing later on this year. There will be no ULEs. There will be no emissions targets. There will be no daily penalty. You're just not allowed in, period. You have to effectively ditch your car in Dublin city centre. So while abandoned private cars and commercial vehicles travelling through Dublin is set to be in place as early as this August, Minister for Transport Eamon Rand says there will soon be a tipping point when cycling will become the main form of transport. I'm looking out uh, at the minute. I was looking out here before uh, the show started this morning. It's grey, completely grey and dark. The temperatures dropped sub-zero again. It's raining and it's only February. I don't see anyone on cycles. The only people I see cycling around here are people at the weekends who do it as a hobby. No one uses cycles to actually get around bar the odd one or two person. So for him to try and believe that Ireland is going to transition into a cycling nation come 
August, this guy is living in cloud cuckoo land. But of course, that's Eamon Rand. That's the Green Party for you. They are residents, permanent residents of cloud cuckoo land. I'm going to take a little pause right now. I'm going to welcome Jem in, see what she thinks about this nonsense here, live on TNT, today's news talk. Getting straight to the facts. Enough with the lies. We need facts. This is today's news talk radio, TNT. This is another one of these things, Gemma. I don't mind cyclists. I really don't. If you're a cyclist or you want to go out, literally get on your bike and go for a cycle, fill your boots. But please, not you obviously personally, but don't tell me that I have to ditch my car. I can't drive it. When I'm paying tax, you know, on my petrol, I'm paying road tax. I pay tax on the insurance that I do to be able to drive that car on the road. And I paid VAT when I bought the damn thing in the first place, now you're telling me I can't drive it. I have to buy a bike instead and go cycling. What if I don't want to do that? What, what options do I have? Well, it's not what if you don't want to. It's what if you can't. What if you're um, mm-hmm. not able to ride a bicycle? What if you're disabled in it some way? Mm-hmm. What if you're a parent with five kids under the age of 10 or three kids under the age of and you know that's not a very viable option on the school run is it and we've got so used to our cars and they are part of our culture it is it is a complete uh, invasion on on people's lives to say this is how it's going to be well you know hang on a minute (laughs) let's have a bit of a heated debate about this but there are plenty of people I'm one of them actually because my friend a friend of mine who's a very very keen cyclist still when I worked at the BBC he had a, a really horrendous bike accident and he ended up in a coma in the brain in a brain injury unit the same brain actually that uh, Richard Hammond the star of the Top mm-hmm. Gear um, motor series in the UK he had a really bad brain injury well my friend and former BBC colleague ended up in the same brain injury unit he went under a van um he got back on the bike uh, which I thought was incredibly brave but he said he couldn't remember anything about the accident for me that was enough to put me off getting on a bike ever again in my life mm-hmm. i just didn't wouldn't want to do it it's too dangerous now on many roads in the uk mm-hmm. and i'm sure ireland as well um so what if you don't want to what if you've got a phobia what if you're not able it just means mm-hmm. cutting out vast swathes of society you know mm-hmm. what if you're on the school run dragging your kids along and you get a puncture what do you do mm-hmm. you know i mean it's just doesn't it's not common sense is it no. And the, the thing is, too, you mentioned safety there. The, this article in the Irish Independent goes on to say uh, the Green Party leader pledged to make cycling feel safe. <laughs> feel safe for everyone, adding every city and town will see cycling and walking become the mainstream form of transport. Gemma, there's a difference between feeling safe and being safe, okay? A lot of people used to drive around in their cars with no seatbelts on until it became law. They felt safe until they rear-ended an HGV and they went flying through the windscreen and fractured their skull. The, the the perception of being safe and the reality of being safe are two different things. It seems Eamon wants to push the perception of safety, which doesn't necessarily translate into the reality of safety, does it? Well, I mean, that you could, you could say that was the last four years in a nutshell. Stay safe, mm-hmm. the perception of safety, which varies from person to person. I would never feel safe on a bike now looking at what happened to my friend. He's completely safe because he's blissfully ignorant of what the reality was. It was the rest of us that had to look at the effects of what happened to him when he was in a coma. Um, he didn't know anything about it. So he perceives it to still be safe. I mean, perception is how you manipulate people into doing exactly what you want. Um, so I'm not surprised that he's talking about the perception of safety here um, oh. and the perception of what's good for the planet. It's all perception, isn't it? That's the only oh. weapon you've got in your arsenal to get people to to behave how you want them to behave i can't see this one flying and also it's lockstep every single country every single city every everywhere now it's walking zones it's it's green zones it's cycling zones happening absolutely everywhere fast across the planet um whether we do it remains to be seen 
Mm-hmm. Uh, tell you, uh, but that's Eamon, uh, Eamon uh, Ryan. He's another uh, head the ball over in Ireland. We have no shortage of the minute. As you know, there seems to be a new one churning out every day. But uh, aside from that, uh, digressed a little bit there, you've got some uh, headlines for us here. What are we going to talk about this morning? Well, we're going to continue talking about Ireland, actually, because uh, mm-hmm. since we were last on air on uh, Open Line with Natalie, uh, I've come across this story about uh, the possibility of an Irish referendum for a unified Ireland could happen by the magic date 2030. Now, obviously, you mm-hmm. and I talked earlier in the week about the fact that Sinn Féin are now in Stormont, they're power sharing mm-hmm. with the uh, DUP, um, and that that's historic. That's never happened before. Mm-hmm. And as a result, uh, we've got Michelle O'Neill in the Northern Ireland Parliament and in, in the Republic, as you well know, you've got Mary Lou Macdonald from Sinn Féin. Uh, and so she's come out today saying that now we've got this historic kind of, you know, movement of Sinn Féin in politics, uh, that the possibility of a referendum for the reunification of Ireland could happen within the next few years and certainly by 2030. Um, She says that uh, with Sinn Féin being the biggest group uh, cohort almost in in Stormont, um, the the unification is possible. And if it did happen during a referendum, they would continue to look at the UK as a close neighbour and friend. There is room in legislation for this, as I'm sure you know, it states in the legislation that if it looks likely that the majority of people would support unification, then the Northern Ireland secretary from the UK government would order a vote. But how you decide on whether the majority would vote that way it's very difficult to call. You know, you have a conversation with someone in a pub one night, do you fill out a form? You know, how do you decide whether or not the majority that's what the majority of the people want? Of course, you know, this is a very big issue, you know, the, the, mm-hmm. the troubles and the whole political spectrum of how Northern Ireland became Northern Ireland goes back, you know, hundreds of years. Mm-hmm. Um, so she's coming out this morning saying it's within touching distance. She recognises Mary Lou Macdonald from the Republic that there's a lot of work to be done. Obviously, she'll work with Michelle O'Neill on that. Michelle O'Neill said when she met Rishi Sunak this week, when he went over to Stormont, that the, that would be the first thing on the top of her list to talk about, a referendum oh, yeah. for a United Ireland. You live in Ireland, Rick. I would be absolutely delighted to hear your views on this one. Well, here's here's the thing, right? Uh, in the past, uh, during the years of the Troubles, you had two factions of people. They usually fell into one or two camps, unionists and nationalists, okay? The unionists were people that wanted Northern Ireland to be to remain part of the United Kingdom. Nationalist Republicans didn't, okay? They wanted to be in all Ireland, all the counties reunited again. The six counties of uh, Northern Ireland would, the, would be reintegrated back into the whole of Ireland, and that's the way it is. So they looked upon the British as an occupying force. There was the Troubles. You had uh, murders amongst everybody. The army was killing civilians. The civilians were killing army. Terrorists were killing each other. It was madness, okay? And the big push for all of that was to drive talks forward or to drive a united Ireland solution forward for the Republicans, okay? So 1994, peace came. They decided uh, diplomacy or the the political route was the better route to go. Uh, The violence ceased, and now we're in this position we're at now where the tables have almost turned. It looks likely that there there is the possibility of United Ireland following a referendum. But then, Gemma, you would have possibly a flip side to the troubles where you had the unionists that don't want to be part of United Ireland. Then they start the violence up again fighting the Irish because they want to stay part of the United Kingdom. I shudder to think what could happen as a result of this, but here's the bottom line. Personally speaking, I'm for whatever solution would be better for the people of Ireland on the whole. Okay, setting aside politics, nationalism and uh, republicanism and everything else. And the, the reality is a lot of nationalists who would have been fighting for years to get a United Ireland realize now they're living in the North that if we did unite with Dublin, 
seeing the state of Ireland, the Republic of Ireland, which I'm reporting on all the time now, they don't want the piece of that. The thing that they've been yearning for for so long actually could end up to be the biggest damp squib in history and certainly detrimental for their future and their children's future. So there are a lot of people who do want it, but there's an awful lot of Republicans and nationalists and unions who don't want it simply because it makes no sense. Look at the way the Irish Republic is being ran now. Do they really want those people governing them in the North too? I think not. So Michelle, uh, fair play to her. She sticks to her guns. She wants a referendum in this. She can want all she likes, as someone once said to me. There's no harm in wanting something. Uh, whether or not you actually get it or not is another thing. So ooh, uh, it's another one for somewhere down the line. It's not going to happen anytime soon, but uh, it could be more fireworks or maybe not. Uh, maybe I could be horribly wrong about this and we all live happily ever after and we just love <laughs> each other and there's no more trouble. But uh, Northern Ireland, listen, as a resident here, we have the best people in the world living here. And we also have the worst people in the world living here. And this is the best country in the world to live in. And it can also be the worst country in the world to live in. That's my honest assessment of Northern Ireland. So it depends on any given day which of those two options you have. It's just very interesting, isn't it, that with Michelle O'Neill now in, in sharing power in, mm. in Stormont and with mm. Mary Lou MacDonald leading Sinn Féin mm. in the Republic, you've got two quite uh, strong women uh, mm -hmm. wanting ostensibly the same thing um, and, and a historical point in, in Ireland's history where it's it's possible it could happen. Um, you know, I'm, I'm interested in the feeling on the ground and from, from what mm -hmm. you said, it is it a 50-50 split? And it's very interesting what you say about people now looking to Dublin from the north and thinking, well, blimey, you know, if that's the way it's mm -hmm. going to go. But are they, are they Dublin, are they Irish policies, should I say, or are they globalist policies that are just are not working in a country like Ireland because people have, you know, they got fire in their belly and they stand mm -hmm. up to, to things they don't like. Um, so it, it, it's, it's, she's come out, you know, this is all in the same week. I think that's really what I'm trying to say is, you know, Rishi Sunak went over to Stormont, went over to Belfast. Michelle O'Neill was very, you know, now I'm in power here. I'm going to, I'm going to, Push for this. Mary Lou Macdonald from the Republic is coming out today saying it's within touching distance. She means a referendum, not necessarily unification, but you know what the results of that referendum would be. That's the that's the question. It's the key question, isn't it? And it's one that you've kind of outlined the feeling on the ground, as it were. Um, yeah. But it, it is historical. It's history in the making. Uh, what will come for of sure. this, and we'll come back to it certainly. Uh and, and the thing about it is, too, uh, it's worth noting, too, it's the first time uh, Sinn Féin are now in a majority position uh, within Stormont. So there has been power sharing on and off over several years, but they, they kept collapsing Stormont because parties were disagreeing with each other over the Irish seaboard and Brexit and everything else. So there's always been the position of First Minister. And there's another position of Deputy First Minister, although they're both equal position titles. But the First Minister position has always been held by the DUP, the Democratic Unionist Party, and they were always the majority in Northern Ireland. And they co-shared that role with Sinn Féin, who were second. But it was an equal position, but they were always deemed to be, you know, the First Minister, the Deputy First. For the first time now, the rules have been reversed. And because Sinn Féin had the largest majority at the last elections, they're now the de facto First Minister with the DUP equal, but let's be honest, subservient second Deputy First Minister. So, yeah, it's toppled everything on its head. And, yeah, it's grinding a lot of people's gears, as you can imagine. But it's also making a lot of people very, very happy. So who knows, Gemma? 
Uh, who knows which way this will turn out. I'll be sitting watching uh, eagerly and reporting on it, no doubt, uh, as things develop over time. So thank you for that uh, topic of conversation, actually a little bit unscripted, but yeah, it's good for people to know what's actually happening over here. So Gemma, thank you very much as always. We've got uh, Dr. Tech Kong waiting in the wings to hop in and have a chat here. Uh, so please don't go away. We'll be back after this break on TNT, today's news talk. TNT's Kate Shimarani. I'm of the, the belief that your body can totally, 100% heal itself. If you remove the offending things and you flood your body with what it needs. What do your dogs and your kids do when they get sick? They lie down and sleep, don't they? They don't want to eat. They get great big temperatures and they just want to rest. What, do you think you're a special, special snowflake? You're any different? No, that's you as well. But what do they want to do when you go to the hospital? I've seen it firsthand in the last couple of weeks. They're just going to serve you rubbish food, wheat, sugar, dairy, animal protein, tea and coffee, fluoridated, fluoridated, bromine, water, drugs, pharmaceutical petroleum-based drugs. Kate Shamarani on today's News Talk TNT. I was such a young age. Everything changed. My name is Chloe. When I was 13, my dad was diagnosed with cancer. When I found out, I just didn't know how to react. I felt like everything was just kind of closing in on me. It just became a routine. Dad's doing chemo. I'd come home from school, wait for mum to finish work, and we'd go straight to the hospital, spend a few hours there, just draw. It was hard to navigate going to school. Hundreds of kids, and I was the only one with a dying dad. He was diagnosed in March, and then he died in October. Towards the end, I heard about canteen. It kind of felt nice to know that they had other people like me. They understood what I was going through, and we didn't even have to chat about cancer. In 2020, I became a youth ambassador, so I can help others the way they helped me. I've done so many things since I was 13. I've graduated high school, university, gotten my license, made a move across the country. Life now is just a whole lot more fun. Please give a gift today to support more young people like me experiencing cancer. The human mind is like a computer. No matter how efficient it may be, its reliability is only as great as the information fed into it. That's a campaign promise. Tell us the truth. Tell us the truth. We mandate that the truth be told. You're hearing it. TNT. Yes, we mandate that the truth be told, and that is what we try and do day and day in and day out. And I'm very happy to be joined again here today on TNT by the one and only Dr. Tech Kong. Uh, he's coming back. Last time we had a chat was on open line. We only had 10 minutes. We've got a little bit longer today, so we'll be able to delve a little deeper into some of the issues that are very close to our hearts. Uh, Dr. Kong is a former police surgeon and also an NHS doctor, ex-NHS doctor. He's also the leader of the ADF, which is the Alliance for uh democracy and freedom. He became involved in politics because of a decline in the NHS and also the state of our country now. And dare I say this, I'm sorry to say this, Dr. Kong, but since you did become involved in politics for those very reasons, things have just gone from bad to worse. Not because you're involved in politics, by the way, just simply because of the trajectory that the NHS is currently on. Good, good, good morning, Rick. Good morning. Good to, good to be back on here again. You're welcome. 
so tell me this. Uh, there's a report in which, in particular, uh, I had a look at yesterday. Now, this is based uh, on a hospital in Ireland, but it's also reflective, I think, of what's happening on the NHS. And the whole, I want to get your thoughts and opinions in this one. So there's an, a hospital in Ireland in Limerick. So University Hospital of Limerick has once again reached a new record high of patients waiting on trolleys, with the figure reaching a new high of 138. That was just two days ago. So in one hospital in Ireland, in Limerick, Limerick uh, University Hospital of Limerick, they had 138 patients that were waiting on trolleys. This exceeded a recent high of 132. The figures come from the daily tally known as Trolley Watch, which is compiled by the Irish Nurses and Midwives Organization. And according to the data, there were a total of 683 patients at all Irish acute hospitals today without a bed, which is the highest figure in 2024 so far. Now, I know it's Ireland. It's not the NHS. It's the Irish Health Service. But that's the same situation that we're seeing in many, many hospitals in England too. It's almost uh, a given that you could well end up on a trolley for several days if you go to a hospital in England. How has it, how has it got to that point, Dr. Kong? How has it fallen so far from what it used to be? Right. Thank you, Rick. The the problem can be divided into four sectors, four segments. Basically, you have patients coming into the hospital, whether it's the outpatient clinic, the elective list, or the accident emergency department. So we've got patients coming in. You've got to ask yourself, why are patients or increased numbers of patients going in? Mm -hmm. Well, one of the issues is these people have lesser access to the GP surgeries. So we have a bottleneck created by people bypassing the waiting, uh, the surgery rooms straight into casualty, apart from which you already have a building waiting list. Then you have the uh, management situation in the hospital. Now, in that, we have um, planning uh, hindrances. You have people who are not managing the rotor system properly. You have staffing issues. And then at the other end, you have uh, patients waiting to be discharged. Now, the waiting to be discharged is a very interesting uh, section of the population because mm -hmm. you have uh, delays in actually getting results, delays in getting a proper diagnosis, and delay in instituting treatment. So, mm -hmm. you, you you know, it's 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 very wrong to blame uh, patients for bed blocking when quite mm -hmm. often it's the poor and slow decision-making process or inadequate or inefficient decision-making process that slows the process down. So we have uh, a throughput situation where more than uh, desirable numbers of patients come in because of poor management out in the community. So they all log jam in the hospital uh, you know, front, front door. And then while in hospital, you have the, the mismatch of problems which needs to be sorted out and then the throughput. Now, mm -hmm. I think what's happened is, I think both in Ireland and in the NHS, what we witnessed was uh, during the pandemic, there was further degradation of a service already in decline. And that's mm. very sad. Now, the politicians who yes. do knee-jerk reactions say, oh, we're short of beds. That's why, you know, patients aren't going onto the beds. Well, that's a little bunkum because what it is, is they need to look at where the situation is causing the problems. If the bed situation is insufficient, fair enough, invest more money, have more beds. But quite often, Having worked on uh, wards in the hospital, I can tell you, it is a, a situation with poor decision and poor throughput. No patient wants to stay on the wards longer than is necessary, and patients want to get better to resume normal life. So you've got to get them out 
back in the community. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, as, as far as so, sorry, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Yep. I as far as actually uh, reducing the blocks in the community, what we need to do is to look at how uh, doctors work. And I'm afraid, you know, when I first became a GP, uh, my job was dedicated to looking after the patients. The majority of my income came from capitation. Uh, very little was uh, due to due to meeting targets. But towards the end of my career, the majority of income came from meeting targets, so-called quality uh, outcome points, you know, Q, QOF points. So what happens is uh, doctors became more and more engrossed in actually meeting the targets because the finances depended on meeting the targets. Uh, I, I don't blame the doctors, but I blame the system. We have changed financial incentivization into uh, into a nasty beast, which it shouldn't be. So no. if you, for example, Google um, the 20. 23 stroke 24 GP contract, you find two doctors discussing how best to maximize your income. When I would suggest this, the doctors are there not to maximize income. The income should flow in if they do the job properly with the patients. Yeah. Yeah. And once you introduce financial incentives to someone doing a job, I used to work for a a large uh, financial institution. So I was a financial advisor and I was remunerated depending on how much business I brought in and the type of business that I brought in. Some of it paid better money than others. So there was a natural gravitation as a uh, as a money hungry young man uh, trying to make his way in the world for me to sell as much profitable products as possible, sometimes at the detriment of the client's best interests. And once you start to mix in financial incentives with pushing a certain type of product to service, you're always going to see a suffering in the actual quality of the services being provided. And that's bad enough when it comes to people's finances, uh, tech. But when it comes to people's health and you have people talking about maximizing their income, maybe at the detriment of people's health, that's when you know you're in very uh, dire straits when it comes to any particular health service. Uh, We've got to take a little headline break and I appreciate your honesty and your openness here because these are the questions. People are scratching their heads at the minute wondering why things are happening. Why why is there a degradation of services? Why is this not happening? And you're outlining the actual reasons why it's happening based on your experience working in the system uh, yourself. So we've got to take a brief um, pause for headlines. And when we come back, I want to pick up on a few other things that you've actually said, because uh, I think it's very enlightening for people to hear this from someone that's been in that position themselves, which is you, uh, an ex-GP and police surgeon. So please stay tuned for more. We'll be right back after this break here with Dr. Tech Home and TNT, today's news talk. Here we go again. All right, let's go. TNT Radio News. Matt Boyland here with a look at your TNT headlines. Israel has rejected a multi-stage, four-and-a-half-month-long ceasefire offered by Hamas, which would have ultimately ended the war. Victory is within reach. The UN Special Rapporteur on Torture has called on authorities in the UK to block Julian Assange's potential extradition to the US out of fear for his safety. And the US Senate has officially rejected the proposed $118 billion supposed border bill. We're the pinup boys and poster girls for free speech. We just don't look as impressive as Vladimir Putin shirtless on a horse. Yeah. 
365. We never stop sifting fact from fiction, misinformation from the truth. From government overreach to the latest on mandates, big tech censorship to propaganda gone mad. Listen to TNT Radio and get the news and views direct from our expert presenters and commentators anywhere you go. Ask Alexa or Google to play TNT Radio or download the TNT Radio app for free from the App Store or Google Play. Today's news talk. This is TNT Radio. So we were just uh, about to have a conversation during the break. It's very, very difficult to stop talking when you're in conversation with someone and you're enjoying the conversation. Even when the breaks come up, we still keep talking anyway. Uh, but I was mentioning uh, the tech uh, just during the break that uh, how different things have been. Even I can remember when I was a kid, uh, if you had a bad throat or you would, your mum would phone the GP, they would they would do a house visit. They would come out with a big black bag, you know, whip the stethoscope out, have a checkout, they'd have a prescription pad in there, they'd write your prescription. You could go to the chemist and get it seen too. There was care in the community when it came to GPs. Now it's an absolute chore, even trying to get to a receptionist for a GP who will then triage you and maybe deem you worthy to speak to a GP. Then you could be waiting for weeks to see a GP. Is this what we've been conditioned to accept now? People realize it's not acceptable, but have we been conditioned to accept it as the new normal? That's very unfortunate. You see, the uh, the whole system of healthcare delivery, uh, the NHS and I, presume with the Irish system as well, it's predicated on a tripartite compact, which is the government taxing the people to pay the doctors to look after the patients. And it has become a very dominant system of delivery, which in a way, you know, taxation offers the largest pool and the most effective way of pooling money to look after the people. But the trouble is the government then becomes too uh, monolithic and dictates. And that's where problem rises arises because what it is is people's needs are forgotten you mentioned about the old days when a doctor sees a problem deals with it you know if you deal with in fact if people live healthily there'll be less problems but if they had any misfortune of getting a problem if it's dealt with effectively and efficiently early on no matter how much it costs downstream the cost and the misery is far reduced so we Mm -hmm. need to look at how population behaves so we, so we have the tripartite compact. The government needs to sort itself out. The patients need to sort themselves out. And the doctors, the doctors need to be rewarded uh, appropriately but for doing the right things. The, the, mm-hmm. the, the doctors are not here to look after the government. They are here to look after the patients. And that is mm-hmm. the primary importance. And we should reward. We should reward people with clarity of thinking, sharp acumen, and getting people right. The, you know, the compassionate link between the patient and the doctors, the, the traditional, what people call the patient-doctor relationship, mm-hmm. has been so badly sullied by perverse incentives. We need to get back to the basics of looking after people. There's no high power like Now, I tell you this, there is yeah, not uh-huh. a single political party or a politician in all the 40 years of my career looking at this in the right cogent way. If there was, I would not need to be in politics at all. So that is why I'm determined to help my party get into Parliament and sort the mess out for the people of Britain. Tell us tell us about the ADF, because uh, although we have extra time here this morning, it's still flown by like a rocket. Uh, I could talk to you all day here about different issues. In fact, there's a lot of other things. You mentioned one, one last thing. You talked about the patient. 
The patient sometimes is uh, uh, not looked upon as being an unnecessary burden in the system. And what I mean by that is there's a very uh, shift these days towards a set sedentary lifestyles, eating processed fast food, uh, not getting enough exercise, not looking after ourselves and depending then on the doctors or the government that if they do take bad or they do take heart disease or diabetes, that they'll be prescribed medication from it. It'll get surgery for it. That'll put them back onto their feet. I think there needs to be a hell of a big push towards preventative uh, action being taken to stop people, as you say, flowing downstream and clogging up the system there. But again, the government has a big part to play in that because they're not pushing healthy messages enough. They're trying to uh, come up with, uh, uh, how do you say, treatments for problems rather than trying to avoid the problems in the first place. Now, let's move from that on to politics. You're part of our leader of the ADF, which is the Alliance for Democracy and Freedom. Where are you guys standing on all this at the minute? If I could wave a wand tomorrow, there's a general election probably going to happen in May. Your, elect, your party has an overwhelming majority. Tech Kong is the new prime minister uh, of the UK. What are you going to do? What's your first protocol when it comes to sorting people's health out? Well, thank you. I think you're very optimistic. I, I have no desire or, 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 or facing the reality that uh, we become government on the first outing. No. What we need to do is to actually encourage people to think differently we, we want to move away from a duopoly, which, you know, they're trying to outcompete each other in ways that are fundamentally wrong. So what we need to do is, as in health, as in other things, we need to look at where the problems are and what the problems are to deal with them effectively. So when we look at health, for example, we've had huge spending increases since Labour came into power back in 97, which went from 37 billion pounds a year to well over 200 billion pounds a year as it stands now. And we're wasting money. We're wasting money left, right, and center. We are not looking at the problems correctly. Over and above which we have, we have this big problem with a pandemic. Now, you know, we spend a huge amount of money. We're not achieving anything at all. And we also cause problems with lockdowns, with, with questionable uh, issues over safety and efficacy of the vaccine. But that's another chapter, that is, that's another talk. What, what we want to do is to encourage people to think that there are other parties like the ADF who have their interests at heart. We're not here for our glorification. We're not here to serve ourselves. We don't have a party whip. We tell our candidates, if you're elected, the whip is your, your electorate, your constituents. Mm -hmm. They tell you what they want, you go with them. There will be some outlying framework for national policies on how we're going to spend the money, how we're going to defend the country and so on. But primarily, you have to listen to your electorate, what they want. If they say we'll have an encampment of, 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 of uh, immigrants here, we'll do that. But if they said we don't want immigrants here, you also do that. You've got to go with the flow, uh, the request of the people. So the first thing is to say we devolve uh, the uh, democracy to, 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 to the locality. So it's the first act of uh, direct democracy. We run so the... Yes, we run the, the party very also, much local direct democracy lines. We don't have a and also, and also, of course, you know, people sometimes, you know, they rely on the electorate to get them elected. And then as soon yes. as they get elected, then the first people that they dismiss and discount are the people that actually put them in the position in the first place. So that's interesting yes. that the whip is the actual electorate uh, would have come to the party. We're almost up to time here. So want to uh, try and direct people your way. So if you're interested uh, in what Tech's saying here, you can check out uh, the, the party's website, which is adfparty, all one word, dot UK. And also yes. if you use the Twitter platform, they're on there at 
ADF party. So please take the time and go on there and do that. And probably uh, throughout the course of this year, as politics becomes more and more dominant in the current affairs discussion, uh, the next time we talk, maybe hopefully sooner rather than later, we'll put a focus on uh, the political side of things that you're doing, uh, because I've been very interested to get your views as a as a surgeon and, a, and an ex-NH doctor on the NHS, but maybe we'll put the shift more on the political side of things uh, if you're good enough to come back at some stage in the future. What do you think of that? Fantastic, Rick. I look forward to that. Good man. And that's Thank Dr. Techcom. And you can also, by the way, you can also follow him uh, on the X platform or the Twitter platform at Dr. Dr. Tech, T-E-C-K, Kong, K-H-O-N-G. Go and check him out there, please, and uh, spread the word about the ADF. So big thanks to you, uh, Dr. Kong. Hope you have a great day and we'll stay in touch and hopefully talk the sooner rather later. You're welcome. i got to take a break right now and welcome in the wonderful uh, Louise Crefield from CFRH UK. She's going to be talking about uh, legislations and bills that are currently being passed when we come back after this break on TNT, today's news talk. With his expert analysis and opinion, this is TNT Radio's Timothy Shea. Oh no, could the squad soon be a thing of the past? Well, based on the hot water that Democrat representatives Cori Bush from Missouri and Ilhan Omar, her brother's wife from Minnesota are in, all signs point to yes, outcome likely. What am I talking about? Well, according to Representative Byron Donalds of Florida, Cori Bush has diverted campaign funds into some questionable security expenses. And Omar was filmed in Somalia saying she's Somalian first and Muslim second. Didn't seem to be a mention of the United States or her oath of office to the Constitution in there. The sooner we're well shot of these people, the better. They're clearly here based on intersectionality, not intellect and nothing will become them so much as they're leaving. From MAGAinstitute.com, this is Timothy Shea for today's News Talk TNT. Hi, I'm Abel. I often forget to mention that he's an amputee because Abel will try any activity he can. My arm helps me with basically everything. He doesn't see what he can't do, he sees what he can do. Yeah, this is helping. The War Amps has just given him the ability to do all the activities every kid can do. When you donate to the War Amps, you help kids like me. Thank you! In a secret lab, somewhere in the Western Hemisphere, the perfect human specimen has been born. He has the strength of 10 men and the wisdom of 20. Rick Munn. Now you listen here! He's a TNT Radio. So go away! <laughs> okay, okay. It's uh, Thursday, the February. Uh, we're coming up to the end of the show. Time is just flying by, so I'm not going to waste any more of it. Waffling. I'm very happy to be joined again by the wonderful Louise Crefield, uh, who is part of Save Our Rights UK, a real democracy. Uh, she The strap line on her Twitter or X feed says, when we unite with the power to reimagine the way this nation is run, join the growing movement of empowered people within a solution. And you know what? Solutions is what we need, Louise, more than anything right now. There's a lot of talking, a lot of uh, hyperbole going around, but solutions and implementation of solutions, boy, do we need them right now. Absolutely. Um, and we've got a system that was created 800 years ago and was founded on blackmail. It wasn't founded on 
creating a system that actually works for me and you. It was created by rich and powerful people to keep rich and powerful people rich and powerful. Um, and it's done that very effectively for the last 800 years. So, yeah, but it's not an effective system. No, it's not. And we do need change. And I, you know what? I think maybe at a time more than ever, a lot of people always grumble about the government. People grumble about who's in power. Nobody's ever really happy with the system that's in place. But I think there's more disenfranchised, hacked off, I've come to the end of my tether people in the UK right now. And I think there is a real shift going on towards, listen, I don't like politics. I don't like getting involved in politics. The thought of it makes me ill. However, it isn't going away anytime soon, and there's a lot of people who are trying to push more grassroots movements up, especially with a focus on independent candidates that aren't linked in with traditional parties. That can only be a bad thing, uh, or is it, sorry, that can only be a good thing, can't it? It can. Um, we're actually running um, a drive at the moment, raising funds for a campaign to that effect, essentially. However, we would disagree that you know independent candidates could actually affect any real changes so mm -hmm. what we're looking to do is create systematic wide change um so you know we're fundraising for that at the moment we're hoping to launch within the next month um because yeah i agree the the appetite for it right now you know mm -hmm. is huge um like we've actually gone out and surveyed people on the streets and you know nobody is happy you know and even with their own parties the party that they voted for last week we asked a really simple question of how satisfied are you with the party that you last voted for so we didn't even ask which party it was we didn't like get involved mm -hmm. in like mm -hmm. any of that and nobody was satisfied so i don't even know which way nobody and that's just how it is at the moment so yeah that's why we're doing this big drive at the moment as well um trying to get this campaign launched because this system like I say it's not fit for purpose no it's not. It's not. And the system that's not fit for purpose uh, keeps breaking things. Uh, it's running institutions into the ground that, let's face it, there's no worse perfect, but they were, they were certainly better than they were once uh, before the Tories and the Labour Party have got their hands on them over the last few decades. And they keep churning out these bills, Louise. I mean, uh, for example, in Ireland, uh, the, the Green Minister wants to make Dublin a car-free zone by the end of August. So you talk about ULEs in London, you talk about uh, clean air zones in Oxford, and Bath and uh, Glasgow and people are up in arms. The Irish are talking about banning cars completely. Uh, he says, <laughs> I envision us becoming a nation of cyclists within the next 10 years, whether we like it or not. So they've got the, they've got the, 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 you know, the bit between their teeth and they're running hard at this, uh, running amok really with freedom and democracy. Uh, there's bills that are being passed at the minute. Uh, the criminal justice bill for example, in England, uh, there was a, a story I was supposed to cover earlier on with somebody else. I never got round to it talking about uh, powers to lock up protesters. We're seeing people being arrested in London now for having a Union Jack around their shoulders. In Ireland, uh, Irish citizens are being arrested for having the tricolour wrapped around their shoulders walking down the centre of Dublin. How did we fall? How did we get to this position? How did we get here? Gosh, it's been a long, slow process. Yeah. That's how it's, and that's, it's chipped away bit by bit. And also you've got to remember that most people are overworked and under-resourced. So while, you know, if you actually went up to anybody and said, do you care about the fact that people are getting arrested for these really minor things? 
they'd go, yeah, that's awful. But do they have time to care? Time to take action? No, because, you know, the cost of living is so high. Um, like there is no families where only one parent can work anymore. Everybody needs a full-time job. And even then they can barely make ends meet. And so then they're taking on second jobs. So people don't have time to care. And that's how it's done. So it's a slow chip away at the rules and a slow chip away at our human rights while increasing everybody's um, demands on their time so that they don't, they can't do anything about it. The totalitarian tiptoe, as it's been referenced. I mean, you and I have been talking on uh, TNT here for pushing up in two years now. We have covered a lot of issues and a lot of the bills that we were concerned about coming into force, some of them didn't make it, but a lot of them have made it and they're creeping into uh, implementation right now. So, for example, this criminal justice bill uh, has abortion regulations in it and the ability to use our DVLA uh, photos for police facial recognition. So all the things that we were concerned about or many of the things that we were concerned about, we're now talking about them as they're about to be implemented. So that should give us cause for concern too. The fact that it's this relentless, slow creep. And I think if it's relentless and slow, people almost become accustomed to it and they almost resign themselves to this is going to happen. What can we do about mm -hmm. it? I think it's meant to grind down your resolve and make you despair a little bit and throw your hat or throw your towel into the ring, Louise. Well, this is it. Um, so obviously I, I've held many a protest and things and my first one, no, the second one actually in 2020, a woman came along and, you know, she was a slightly older woman and she was like, I'm glad to be here. I've been going on protests since the 80s. Mm -hmm. This is 40 years later. And I was like, oh, I don't want to do this for 40 years. Um, you know, and it is tiring. And to keep on top of it, you do, you'd have to keep fighting and going on protests and doing stuff forever like it as it stands it would be forever and you'd never get a break whereas this is exactly kind of what we're looking at in the campaign that we're trying to launch mm. is going how about no more it's not like we're just going to fight this bill or this bill or this bill because you, know, you know they just keep on coming how about we don't utilize the system anymore like how about we actually have something that serves the people because otherwise we're just going to be on this hamster wheel forever and i as effective as you know some of the work that i've done has been as enjoyable as some of the work i've done has been i don't want to keep doing this forever i don't want to have to keep fighting the government forever i don't want to have to keep worrying about what they're next going to do i want to actually change like you said just treating the symptoms treat the cause um mm -hmm. and so that's that's essentially the campaign that we're looking to launch and as well as that, of course, you know, you have uh, find yourself, uh, you know, at the wrong end of the long arm of the law uh, many, many times. Many a time I've been trying to book you to talk here and say, well, I can't actually, I'm in court and I'm fighting this case. So not only have you been on the ground doing the campaigning, but you've also found yourself uh, up in court defending yourself against huge fines that they were trying to whack you with uh, simply because you were standing up for freedom and liberty and democracy and all that business. Yeah, yeah. And um, to add insult to injury, um, just recently, so I was um, due some compensation because I was the victim of a, a pretty horrific crime back in 2016. And you, I was entitled to compensation because of it. And they actually reduced my compensation because of my criminal charges that oh. happened six years after I was the victim of a very horrific crime. 
Um, and That's they justified that because they said, well, you're a criminal too. And I'm like, so yeah, which I, I thought was just outrageous. It is outrageous, but then again, it's, it's sad to say this, but you're, it's almost no surprise, is it really? I mean, like normally yeah. you'd be tearing your hair, but it's like, you know, you shrug and say, well, what do you expect from this current shower that we have in force at the minute? One of the things, another thing that they're trying to bring through is here, uh, mask protesters, ironically, ironically, uh, mask protesters could soon face arrest, say the Home Office. Uh, protesters who wear masks could face arrest up to a month in jail and a thousand pound fine under proposed measures that human rights campaigners claim are pandering to cultural war nonsense. It wasn't so long ago, Louise, that you could be, uh, you know, uh, fined or uh, kicked out of a store or demonized for wearing a mask. Now it's a thousand quid and possibly jail time if you are wearing a mask. What a flip-flop is that? Well, I got convicted because the protesters weren't wearing masks. That was one <laughs> of the reasons I got convicted was because the protesters at the protest that I'd organized mm -hmm. were not wearing masks. Um, and now, yeah, but it's because it doesn't, um, it makes it really hard for the police to use their facial recognition cameras. Mm -hmm. That's why they don't like it. Um, mm -hmm. and therefore it's, um, not helpful to them. No, so, it's not. yeah. What do you make of, uh, you know, the, in, in in supermarkets, right? There's always been, listen, there's always been surveillance. I can remember even as a kid when I used to go into supermarkets. Now there were like huge uh, globes that were stuck onto the supermarket roofs. And, you know, they had little, uh, you know, security cameras in them that the security people could keep an eye on people, make sure there's no shoplifting. That's always been there in the car parks. You know, they've got big mounted uh, CCTV cameras to keep an eye on the car parks. Why is there so many layers of surveillance now. By, by that, what I mean is you drive your car in, the CCTV and the camera in the car park picks you up. You're walking around the aisles of the supermarket and there's all these uh, ceiling-mounted CCTV cameras. Now they're mounting them uh, at the checkouts at, at eye level. And there's a globe that hangs, a half globe hangs above some supermarkets now with a huge plasma screen TV. And as you walk in under it, it almost gets you down at a 45 degree angle. Am I being uh, a little bit conspiratorial and tinfoil hattish when I say they're maybe trying to build up a model of your face from above, from below, from eye level, from different angles? Uh, what's, what's with all these multi-layered CCTV cameras? Well, there's that, but also it allows them great insight into our movements and mm -hmm. the data on us is hugely valuable. So this person drives this type of car, they come in, this is the type of shopping they buy, um, you know, and they spend this long shopping. That sort of stuff is so valuable um, to them and it drives so much of what they do. So not only will it be helpful for the facial recognition, but it will be a mass data collection that they can sell for a fortune. Yeah, I, I, that's it. It's all about knowledge. They say knowledge is power. And of course, if you have this information, a mine of information, it becomes very valuable. They, even when Musk bought the X platform or the Twitter platform, he said, listen, the, in his own words, he said, this is a develop, uh, an accelerant 
to the development of the X platform. And of course, it's rebranded X now, which will be the everything app. So I think, uh, you know, as much information as he can get on people's minds, you know, it's all to feed into AI programs. What does this political view hold? What's the consensus here? It feeds it all into algorithms and programs that becomes very, very valuable to people that are trying to push tech takeovers uh, within within the world in general. Uh, another thing that you guys as well, I'm trying to uh, big up uh, CFR Rights UK because you guys have been laboring uh, feverishly for a very, very long time. It's not just about uh, liberty and freedom. It's also to do with people that are being crushed by cost of living uh, expenses that the government are largely responsible for too, through mismanagement of funds and one thing and another. Gordon Brown uh, has came out yesterday and said uh, he slams the obscene levels of destitution in the UK. He said uh, ministers should be criticised for moral outrage of systematically shredding the social security system. This is Gordon Brown we're talking about here, is outraged that the obscene levels of destitution in the UK and he and his cohorts in the Labour Party were, you know, let's be honest, they had their part to play in bringing this about in the first place. Is that not hypocrisy of the highest order? Oh, absolutely. But you've also, it's, it, the whole thing is interlinked. You like The social security system, you know, is outrageous you know there, there isn't enough money in there to for people to survive but then you know allowing costs to get so out of hand in terms of you know um you know food and fuel and electricity you know those basic things that people need and then council tax going up and rents going up like allowing those to get so out of hand um as well as decimating the social security, it's it's a twofold issue. Um, and again, it's all driven by making profits, making money, and not for not for us though, um, for them and their mates. Yeah, that seems to be the thing. You know, old George Carlin said it's a big club and we're not members of it. Well, you know what? From a financial point of view, obviously it would be maybe beneficial, but let's let's face it, would you want to be part of that satanic uh, hell club? I don't think so, not me personally. But Gordon Brown, another example of an old political dinosaur that's still trying to remain relevant by piping in Cameron's back. Blur never really went the way. Now Brown's piping in about this. Liz Truss even uh, dusted off her business suit and appeared at the PopCon convention yesterday. Popular conservatism with Holly Valance, the ex-neighbor star who's banging on about lefties. Now the LGBT community is saying they're anti-LGBT because they're pushing uh, that we're left-wing extremists. It's an absolute... Uh, well, it's a it's a show. I won't tell you what type of show it is, but it's a show nonetheless. Uh, as we come up to the end of the this show, uh, uh, just in case I forget to do it before the top of the hour, uh, please take time to check out uh, what Louise is doing. They've got a website, Save Our Rights, which is all one word, saveourrights.uk. And also you can follow her on X or Twitter. And I notice you've been a little bit inactive on the old uh, Twitter platform there. Is there a better platform to find you on? It's the only one I use, and I do use it just for news, to be quite honest with you. I don't have Facebook or anything like that. Is there a better social media platform that people can connect yeah. with you on than uh, the X? What, the best thing it? to do is... Facebook and Instagram, but the best, best thing is to join the mailing list because then it's not impeached by um, algorithms or anything like mm -hmm. that. It just comes straight to your mailbox. We don't mail you very often. We only mail you when it's important. 
And so, yeah, that's the best thing which you can find on the website. Brilliant. So the website uh, is the portal where you can find out about the campaigns that are going on, a little bit about the background of the organization, saveourrights.uk. And if you do use uh, Twitter, they do have a page, Save Our Rights UK. It's uh, got a good old following on there, but it's not the best for you in terms of algorithms. So check them out if you use Facebook or if you use Instagram, you can check them out there. And I do encourage people, if you can, find a way, uh, if you can support them in the work that they're doing, uh, because it's all voluntary at the minute. And obviously they're trying to make a big difference that could impact all of us uh, going forward in the future. So massive respect to you, Louise, as always, for the work that you do, and also uh, for coming on here again and talking so openly and honestly with us here on TNT. It's always lovely to see you, and I hope you have an absolutely splendid day. That's Louise Crefield. I'm Rick Munn and I shall be back, fingers crossed, DV, tomorrow morning at nine with Natalie for Open Line. But stay tuned for more here on TNT with James Freeman. The Freeman Report is coming up next. And uh, yeah, have a good day, y'all. And I'll be back again tomorrow.